Welcome to another episode of Sound Digressions. Here we are, back again. It's been a few weeks, nearly a month, but here I am, back again, to talk about the same old things <laughs> I talk about most of the time. So, take a moment to sit back and relax as I dive in into a sort of um, review episode, an update episode, covering some of the stories, developments, some of the developments to stories that have already been covered by Sound Digressions. Here we go. since I sat down to record in nearly a month and a lot has happened and a lot has not changed we're in we're at the midpoint of November which means we're about five weeks away from the shortest day of the year the Sun's already setting around 4 30 in the afternoon it's ridiculous thanks a lot Daylight savings time. I was running in the afternoons for a little while there, for a week. And I guess there's a lot less of a park running culture in the dark. I mean, like, people will run in the park in the dark in the morning. But I saw very few people outside in the park after 6 p.m. And I don't know why that is. I see people still running after 6 p.m. Um, they're running with headlamps on and reflective vests and other gear to make themselves very visible to car headlights and whoever else might be looking. Anyway, I'm back to running in the mornings again. That's when my friends run. My friends, as in the other, the, the people I say hello to while running. Uh, I never, never, except for one, with one exception, with one exception, I never talk to any of them, but I consider them, consider them my friends because I see them in the park on a regular basis and we wave hello and we smile and we encourage each other and, uh, and we run past each other and that's it. That's the nature of our relationship. The nature of our friendship. It's getting cold, but for the most part, we've had a relatively mild November. I haven't yet pulled out my running tights. It's still okay to run in shorts, even though I will run with a hoodie and gloves on every now and then. Anyway, that's enough about my tolerance for the cold. <laughs> uh, 
one thing that has happened in the last month is there there, there have been a lot of update updates uh, about stories that we've covered before in particular uh well there's two of them in particular uh russiagate and the havana syndrome both of which got some attention full episodes on sound digressions Russiagate. Well, the biggest development there is that Igor Danchenko, which was one of the primary sources for what has become what has come to be known as the Steel dossier, uh, which is what a, a series of allegations um, compiled by uh, Fusion GPS under the leadership of Daniel Steele, a former uh, British spy. His primary source, or one of the primary sources for his report, he was working for the Democratic Party, the um, Democratic... Hmm. He was working for Hillary Clinton's campaign. This is back in 2016. And this primary source has been charged by the Justice Department in the United States with lying to the FBI. Now, it's complicated because even though it's been known for... <laughs> it's been known for a long time that the Steele dossier was... Uh, was... <laughs> None of the claims have been corroborated. It was all bullshit. Up to this point, because nothing has been corroborated, we can say that it was all bullshit. There was no um, tape, videotape of um, Donald Trump with Russian prostitutes in a hotel in Moscow being peed on or then peeing on the bed that was Obama slept on in Moscow. I, anyway, whatever the claim was, the pee tape did not exist. Does not exist. Uncorroborated claims. And now finally, the Justice Department has charged Igor Danchenko with, I'm not sure that's how you pronounce his name properly, but they have charged the primary source of the Steele dossier with um, lying to the FBI. Because after the dossier came out, after, you know, once it was publicly, became public knowledge that this dossier existed, thanks to the efforts of BuzzFeed journalists and the Hillary Clinton campaign, uh, of course, the FBI interviewed the sources for this material. And, I mean, the, the FBI is not, guilty of being duped because there were serious doubts very early on that this whole Russiagate thing was fake, that it was all uh, propaganda started by the Hillary Clinton campaign. And there were very few, I mean, like, it's difficult I mean, it's easy to say that now, but it seemed like at the time, as things were unraveling, developing in 2016, early 2017, 
before the Inspector General's report came out, I think it was in 2018, or maybe it was mid-20, anyway, whatever. The Inspector General's report came out a long time ago, more than two years ago, outlining how it was all bullshit and not corroborated. And, and just in the last few weeks, we've got another nail in the coffin of Russiagate. It's dead. You know, there was no collusion. I mean, that's why Robert Mueller never found collusion um, between Donald Trump and Russia. There was no collusion. There, there might have been some dealings with people with Russian passwords, but that is not the same thing as collaborating directly with Vladimir Putin to elect Donald Trump. So this whole corporate media lie, you know, the perpetuation of this lie by the corporate media has uh, received another, what you would think would be a deathly blow by now, but instead of correcting or rectifying this, this story, usually what happens when the media is horrendously wrong is that they will simply ignore the new developments, and that is what is happening with the case against Igor Danchenko. So, that's one thing, one thing that has happened. To the Havana Syndrome, there was a story published, I think it was in the, in the New Yorker, or maybe it was the New York Times, I always get them confused, because they sound like it's the same thing. Um, <laughs> there was a blockbuster story about like new cases, people falling ill in Washington DC and in Berlin and in like other embassies around the world, American embassy staff who are usually CIA agents, spooks, falling ill with mysterious illnesses that were allegedly launched by secret Russian, Chinese, maybe Cuban, I don't know, nobody knows, mysterious, super futuristic weapons that cause brain damage from a great distance and can target individuals with microwaves? Who knows? Anyway, um, we've talked about this before. We all know that when somebody finally was able to recreate, to, to, to record in Havana, when this first came out, where, where it gets its name from, Havana Central. In Havana, somebody finally managed to record this sonic weapon that was being used against poor, innocent American and Canadian embassy staff. And then some insect scientists took a look at the evidence and they're like, oh yeah, that's like a Caribbean cricket. I do not know if there are Caribbean crickets in Berlin or if they're also in Washington, D.C. Whatever is triggering this, uh, oh, I forget what the new word for it is. It used to be known as mass, mass hysteria. But um, that name has gone old fashioned. It has been replaced by mass psychogenic illness, MPI, sometimes called mass sociogenic illness or mass psych 
psychogenic disorder. Anyway, uh, whatever the name is, it's this this fear that travels like a disease and affects people like a disease. Nobody's faking their symptoms. This is like one one like one thing to be like. I know I joke and like I feel like all critics of it joke around like you know making make fun of this uh, CIA spooks. But that is not to say that they're faking it. They're falling victim victims to this mass psychogenic event, but the symptoms are real. They are, their fear is manifesting in real ways in their bodies, which is what creates this like really tense confusion um, or intense desire to attribute it to some evil thing outside of the minds or the fears of these people. One thing that you often hear about in sports, in sports injuries, is that it's easier to recover from an injury when you've been uh, hurt by something external than something internal. So say if you were like training in a way that led to you hurting yourself, that's harder to recover than if you say, than if say, you know, you're playing football and somebody bashed into you and you broke an arm or whatever. Uh, so I feel like, you know, in keeping that in mind, an, an illness that comes up from outside rather than from your own internal fears seems a lot easier to recover from, or at least, you know, to comprehend, to deal with than an illness that comes from, you know, what you've internalized, you know, that and, and that's something that's developed inside of you. All that to say is, uh, let's continue making fun of the CIA spooks, uh, but at the same time, let's not forget that mass psychogenic illness does manifest real life symptoms. Nobody's faking anything here. Anyway, having a syndrome took over the headlines again, run rampant, and I don't yeah, people still don't know. <laughs> the mystery's still out there. Let's blame Russia. Let's blame Russia for having developed a weapon that the Americans know nothing about and could not conceive in any particular way. How to construct themselves. Very, very futuristic thing that of course that that that's easier to believe somehow um than the fact that these people have fallen ill to amass hysteria all right that's where it is that's where it's at more havana syndrome <laughs> um and of course of course one um well this is not so much an update this is like the meat the meat, the meat of the, of the podcast today, is that uh, I have more. I've been thinking a lot. I mean, like I found two stories very recently in Canadian news that made me think 
quite a bit about uh, our response to the coronavirus and how uh, poor it has been and how it has, you know, we're like almost two years into this thing. And the response has not really developed in a more logical or, or, or comprehensive sense. There's still lots of missteps happening. And the, the two stories that came out like made me think uh, about how people are trying to deal with this in various ways, both positive and negative, both foolish and, I don't know. We're, we're all making it up as we go along. And I feel like at this point, governments have failed so convincingly, repeatedly, that I do not hold a grudge against anyone that severely doubts what the government's doing. I have my own opinions on things and what works, what doesn't. And that all comes from what I've read online and the discussions that I've witnessed, the people that I follow on Twitter and other avenues. But, I mean, there's so much information. I mean, like, I, I stopped following a lot of the origins of COVID information because there was, there was just so much coming out. I feel like once the story got legs in May of, of this year and then developed through June, July, August, September, October, like, as more and more documents were released, F, um, they were FOIA'd, um, uncovered by journalists, uncovered by um, sleuths on the internet, by Drastic. Uh, all this just kind of like, it, it felt like two or three major news organizations were putting out stories throughout September and early October, and it was a lot to keep up with, and I kind of like tuned off a little bit. And then I got these two news, two Canadian stories, and I guess I'll, I'll just... The first one, coming out of Saskatchewan, uh, was that uh, there were... <laughs> In Saskatchewan, residents, some, some Saskatchewan residents, paid others to go get vaccinated on their behalf. And this is like, this is so they could get a vaccine card, vaccine, you know, a card that says that they've been vaccinated and get a vaccine passport, so to speak, or whatever it is. I don't know if they use that, what the language, what the name for it, or what the equivalent name for it is in Saskatchewan. But yeah, essentially it was like, I don't know, how, it, the story didn't say how much they got paid, but I think the vaccine passports are a little bit ridiculous um, because it's so much of a half measure. It's not. It doesn't go all the way, and it, if it doesn't go all the way, you know, it it seems like an attempt to fully separate the vaccinated from the unvaccinated. But there are so many gaps in this separation that 
Um, the implementation of vaccine passports to me seems rather foolish. The primary example of that here in Quebec is that in many places, uh, in most places, the clients or customers uh, in the places that require them will need a vaccine passport, but not the staff working the store or restaurant or event. <laughs> the way that labor law work, labor laws are, are, are organized is that, you know, you, you, it's easier to mandate the clients and customers to, to re, you know, require them to have a vaccine passport, but it's more difficult, uh, requires a greater effort, changing of the laws to implement the same measures on the staff. So already you see like the vaccine passport system has a huge gaping hole right from the get-go, right? And then we can think of more scenarios like the fact that kids at school, you know, elementary school are not vaccinated. Their vaccines have not been approved for them. So vaccinated and unvaccinated people are sending their kids to similar schools. There's no, <laughs> I guess, so again, you know, like this attempt at a separation uh, and who, and, and it's not clear like who the separate, what the separation is supposed to achieve. Um, I mean, because, because we know, and it's announced daily that one third of infections are occurring amongst people who have been fully vaccinated. So for every 600 infections that we have, about 200 of those will be in people who have been fully vaccinated, right? All that to say that the vaccine passport system seems more geared towards making us feel comfortable about going to particular places like restaurants or concerts or bars or whatever, rather than actually stopping infections. So I do not know what the government's goal and it's what the government's goal is precisely with vaccine passports. Is it to, like, like I said, you know, like the idea of like separating vaccinated and unvaccinated, if that is the goal, it's not being achieved because there's so many holes in the passport system. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, like, it's not like, I mean, in some sense, I guess, if like two thirds of unvaccinated are being, you know, account for for cases every day, um, then yeah, I guess the unvaccinated will carry infection, are more, are, you know, are that much more likely to carry an infection. But being unvaccinated does not mean that you have COVID. Those are very different things. <laughs> uh, but I feel like the, the, the way we talk about the unvaccinated, people who, for whatever reason, have chosen not to get the vaccine, 
we talk about them, or at least media seems to talk about them quite regularly as this unwashed, uh, sick masses of people who are, you know, you were uh, trying to do violence on the world <laughs> by, you know, refusing to get vaccinated. Which really shifts, you know, like it's, not only is the victim, pa uh, the victim, the vaccine passport, this shifting of responsibility, uh, but it also like, I mean, I mean, what I meant to say is the vaccine passport is, gives this false sense of security while at the same time shifting responsibility. We have known for two years or the better part of two years that government measures have often been shit. And here the vaccine passport system is to shift blame towards the unvaccinated and rather than to the people who are managing the crisis really poorly, the governments. <laughs> so anyway, so this whole story of coming out of Saskatchewan, that people are paying others to go get vaccinated for them so that they can get a vaccination card. And then another story came out that it was, it was actually worse than that, that, you know, some people have like stolen vaccine cards, vaccine passports, and like filling them out fraudulently and selling them. Uh, and healthcare workers trying, you know, trying to make an easy buck by selling fraudulent, fraudulent um, vaccine cards. And I just found it funny. It's like, it is so, like the, 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 the talk around vaccines, which work, and I recommend everyone get them, everyone who can, um, but the talk around vaccines is so, so murky these days, you know, that nobody, or so much of the talk strays away from what they act, they're actually doing. And I feel like looking at Britain is a great case of how efficient vaccines have been because they have had like consistently really high uh, vaccine, uh, sorry, uh, COVID transmission over the last couple of months, but just a fraction of the hospitalization and death rates that they had before. It is concerning that there, uh, from what I hear, very few measures are in place anymore to mitigate the spread of SARS-CoV-2. But, you know, if you want, if you need proof that the vaccines are efficient at uh, doing this thing of not preventing infections or the spread of the disease, but are preventing bad outcomes from the disease, England is a, uh, oh, sorry, the UK is a great uh, case study. It's concerning case study as well, because um, there's fear that, um, with the disease spreading around so much in a highly vaccinated population, that it might learn to dodge vac what the you know the, the the immune response that the vaccines are triggering. Um, yeah. Anyway, I heard another story on Twitter, and this was like funnier, and I've told it to a few other people, and it was funny just because 
you know, it, it takes like this, in Saskatchewan, you have like this fraud happening. And then, but you have a reverse of sorts, a reverse scam of sorts that I heard about on Twitter. And it was a story of a doctor uh, posting, you know, they, they, they took in a patient at a hospital and part of the, like, the routine nowadays, uh, you know, when you intake a patient is to ask them if they've been vaccinated. And the patient responded uh, to this particular doctor on Twitter. The patient responded, yes, I've had about 20 shots. <laughs> and the rationale, and, and in all seriousness, you know, like the person said, I've had about 20 shots. And the rationale for them was, they're not afraid of the vaccine, clearly, but, <laughs> Uh, many of these vaccine rollouts came with like gift cards or like a few bucks here or some other sort of like incentive to get. So it turns out this patient was just like going around getting vaccines in exchange for free goodies. <laughs> Which is, yeah, 20 vaccines, whatever. Damn, right? Um, <laughs> anyway, one, the other article, the, the, the other, I mean, like, I wasn't planning on telling that story about the Twitter thing, but one other article that came to my mind and um, that I noted in thinking about how poorly how poorly informed we've been, you know, like it, we, I mean, like the, the most clear case of this is the reluctance, even from the WHO, from many, many countries, from the, the medical uh, authorities in many countries to acknowledge, even though it was suspected very early on that SARS-CoV-2 is an airborne disease that is transmitted through airborne particles. You know, you had the droplet theory. You know, we heard all about droplets so much. So we've, we've been bombarded with, like, poor information from the start. Uh, I, yeah, and it's hard to make sense of it sometimes. And two years into things, we are still being bombarded with bad information. And this is a story from CTV News. And the headline says... Study looks at transmission of COVID-19 in public washrooms. Suggests simple ways to minimize risk. Now, I'm going to read you the full first paragraph and then the third paragraph of this article. The first one starts. Public washrooms are flush with germs, but effective hand washing, surface cleaning, and maintenance are likely to minimize the risk of transmitting infectious diseases, including COVID-19, according to researchers. So, to reiterate, surface cleaning and maintenance are likely to minimize the risk of transmitting infectious disease, including COVID-19. Paragraph 3 of the same article says, While there's widespread evidence contaminated surfaces can cause fecal-oral transmission. According to researchers, 
no instances of airborne related transmissions of infectious diseases, including COVID-19, have been recorded in public washrooms. So in paragraph one, they're telling us that there are effective measures to mitigate transmission of diseases, including COVID. And in paragraph three, they're telling us that there's there are no recorded instances <laughs> of COVID-19 being transmitted in public washrooms. And it's just like, what? So all these sanitary measures are doing great things, but not for COVID. But they're still trying to convince us that they're doing something about COVID. And it's like, do you even read what you write? And it, you don't have to like dive deep into the article. Like it's paragraphs one and three. <laughs> it's such bullshit. It's just like, <sighs> it's like that Simpsons episode, right? There have been no instances of tiger attacks, but Lisa's rock um, allegedly <laughs> prevents tiger attacks. She can sell that rock. Homer tries to buy the rock. <laughs> it's so frustrating. It's just like, this you know, one of our primary news sources for most Canadians, CTV News, right? So rather than telling us what has been found, that like, as long as everybody's, anyway, in, yeah, instead of telling us the fact that there have been zero reports of transmission of airborne viruses in public washrooms, which is a reassuring thing. They could just tell us that. But they're instead, they're telling us that all these measures that are being taken to prevent a very different type of transmission are actually helping with COVID. It's just like, it makes no fucking sense. And it's infuriating. It's infuriating to read a news story like this, where they're trying to sell you science and you can so easily spot what a whole lot of junk they're trying to tell you. COVID is not the only disease out there. It is good to have excellent hygiene, especially in places like public bathrooms. And that, you know, the hygiene that will mitigate the spread of disease. And it's not necessary to pretend that the mitigation of those, you know, diseases will have some, you know, has anything to do with the mitigations required against COVID, we are far enough into this that we need to stop. I wish, because it's not only governments, you know, it's like they're aided by the media intensely. 
this whole idea of like social distancing indoors, it's just, the social distancing is not doing much in environments where there is uh, prolonged, uh, where you're spending a lot of time. What is helping are masks because it's an airborne disease. <laughs> so whatever is hindering stuff from entering your respiratory system is going to do more than whether you're standing a meter or a meter and a half away from a person. Well, yeah. <sighs> Better ventilation systems, air purifiers, masking. Those seem to make sense in terms of I'm not a scientist, but I'm also not a total dummy, dummy, a total, total dummy. <laughs> and I feel like, you know, this is why I don't, when I have a hard time accepting this narr narrative against uh, the, this um, virulent negative language against people who have chosen not to be vaccinated. I have a hard time employing it, uh, embracing it, adopting it, because it's so easy to see how poorly informed we have been throughout and continue to be. This CTV article I read was published November 4th. You know, and it's, it's not, uncommon for information to be unclear. This pandemic has shown us all that it is in fact the norm for information to be unclear and for governments to be unclear and for media to be unclear. So it's hard for people to make up their minds about what's actually going on recently in Quebec. The um, <laughs> I found this very funny. Uh, healthcare workers, uh, enough of them anyway, uh, refused to abide by the government's imposed vaccine mandate due date, which was supposed to be October 15th, if I remember correctly. I Two or three days before October 15th, they, they, they realized that there were like way too many unvaccinated healthcare workers for them to be able to, to 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 absorb the blow of having to fire like i think it was close to like 9000 people so they backed off uh and i view it i view that in the context of like what healthcare uh people who are who've been working in this in our healthcare system have been going through in the last couple of years. It's been, I mean, the system was shit before, and it got more shit over the course of the pandemic. They had not enough PPE to start with. Uh, a lot of the time, you know, like when I, whenever I've gone to get tested for, for COVID, there, you know, I come in wearing like an N95 mask and they make me put on a shitty surgical mask, which is the same thing that the healthcare professionals are wearing. 
And if any one of them has been keeping up with the info, they know that they really, they should be the ones wearing the N95s. And I should be too, you know, we all should be wearing better quality masks than the surgical masks that are uh, ubiquitous now. The surgical mask, they're a great material. It does its job wonderfully, but it doesn't seal around your breathing apparatus well enough. Not as, anyway. <laughs> In a healthcare setting, it should seal better. You would think that that would be a priority. It should seal better. Recently, last time I went, they were wearing better masks. I was so happy to see that, you know, with like elastic bands around the back of their heads. I was like, awesome, great. They still made me put on a shitty surgical mask, but the healthcare workers were better protected. Anyway, so they've had poor working conditions. They've been uh, forced to work overtime. I remember in like 2020, in April and May, at the beginning of this thing, there were many reports of healthcare workers working with COVID. They were ill with COVID and still were being mandated to keep on working and, you know, like transmitting the disease to their patients. So these people have had to put up with like a lot of, if anyone has put up with a lot of bullshit, we all have through this pandemic with the governance bullshit, the primary, rece primary receivers have been healthcare workers. Their situation has been terrible. So in that context, then, you know, a few of them, because the majority are, are vaccinated. I think it, the figure of the, they're about 97% vaccinated. It was that little holdout, that little 3% that <laughs> gave the finger to the Quebec government and said, we're not getting vaccinated. And the government had to step back and be like, fuck, all right, I guess we're going to give you one more month. And then eventually they realized that, well, that one more month, was nothing changed, not enough changed anyway. And they had to back off. And instead, these unvaccinated healthcare workers can opt for three, as, as far as I can recall, it's three tests per week. And if we take into consideration the fact that a fully vaccinated person can still get infected and can still transmit COVID, though the case, though it's less likely, it can still happen, then these unvaccinated people getting tested regularly my thinking is that they, because they're being tested regularly, they are actually less likely to transmit COVID to patients than someone who is vaccinated and not getting tested regularly. Right? That makes sense, right? I'm not, I'm not like, <laughs> Is my logic sound? <laughs> it's 
sounds sound. <laughs> but is it? You know, like you doubt yourself. because It makes sense. But I doubt myself because... Because there's so much poor information floating around us all the time. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> I heard that in some other countries, I heard particularly that in Italy, for a vaccine passport, uh, having been infected previously with COVID will be taken into account. And that makes sense. I feel like there's clear evidence now that somebody who has had COVID before has a decent immune response. I mean, like, it's way better to get vaccinated <laughs> than to get sick with the virus, you know. A vaccine is much a much better, safer way of um, having that uh, immunity. But a lot of people have been infected. A lot of people in health, a lot of healthcare workers have been infected. So taking that into account makes sense. And it's a, it sounds like other healthcare systems are doing that. They're taking previous infections into account as a way of protecting You know, if you've been infected before, that gives you pretty robust protection against being infected again. <laughs> Why are we not taking that into consideration here? Why are we so hard-headed? Why are we so reluctant to pay attention to what's happening in other places and say, hey, maybe we should do that. That seems to be working over there. That's a smart idea. And I've said this a few times, you know, like for a long, long time, people would look at Vietnam, people would look at New Zealand, people would look at Iceland. And, you know, I thought, after a while, I thought, hey, wait a second. We don't need to look that far. We could just look at our neighbors. Look at how New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, PEI, Newfoundland and Labrador have been doing. The maritime provinces, they've had their outbreaks. But, for the most part, they've been able to mitigate transmission and ill outcomes and of this disease by having more robust testing, a better public response, <laughs> letting people know which places infections have happened in. There's so much we could do better, and we know it, yet we get hung up on media narratives about vaccine passports and the horrifying monsters that unvaccinated people are. It's so nuts. And it's funny too, because you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, fuck, we're trying to sell competing narratives here. You know, healthcare workers as heroes, you know, that we're fucking over with forced overtime. And it's not like, you know, you work a couple of extra hours at the convenience store, kind of forced overtime. It's like, work a second full shift in a high-stress setting. <laughs> you know, fucking long hours without notice. Um, and you have to accept. Um, oh, God. <laughs> so they're trying to sell them as heroes so that we can fuck them over some more. And now we're like, oh, 
we gotta sell them as evil as well because they're not because this tiny portion of them is not getting vaccinated um <laughs> the narrative is confused what do we do are they still heroes Ah, <sighs> shit. <laughs> Alright, I think that's enough. That's enough for today. This was kind of a update episode. Just to let you know that I'm still thinking about sound digressions. And keeping this thing going. And uh, thank you all for listening. <laughs> If you disagree with me on any of this stuff, uh, contact me on Twitter or or however else you choose to. Sound aggressions. We're on Gmail. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I don't mind disagreements. I feel like I disagree with a lot of, <laughs> with a lot of stuff. Anyway, uh, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you again. <laughs>